Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. We are finishing up our series, Rebuild, where we have been looking at the rebuilt vision of, of Lifehouse Church, where we've been going through the vision statement that we believe that God has given us as, as we have rebuilt our church over the past 12 to 15 months. And the vision that we feel like that God has, has given us is encapsulated in this statement. Lifehouse exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. This is the sixth part. This is the longest series we've done in a very long time. Uh, and, and if you have not had the opportunity to catch the previous sermons, please go on different platforms, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, whatever, and check those sermons out. Because really this series is we're kind of sharing with you the heart and vision of what we see God doing. So whether it's your first time here or whether you've been here a couple weeks or whether this has been your church home a very long time, we just we, we want you to catch the heart and kind of pick up what we feel like the Lord is putting down. And so we pray over the past five weeks, you guys have really caught the heart of where we see God leading us as a church. And today I wanna finish out by talking to you about one of the final steps we hope the people that call our church home take, and that is leaving a legacy. Can you turn to somebody on your left, right, whatever, and just say that phrase, leave a legacy. Leave a legacy. You know, dying isn't typically something we like to think about. And I know we, and I know we just celebrated life today. And I know maybe the first question that, that a pastor asks, or is it like, have you thought about dying lately? It's not the most attractional thing to ask. It's not the most inspirational thing to ask, but it might be one of the most important things that I do all day today, is have you thought of, of, about the fact that lately, that one day, you are going to pass and stand before God and give an account for your life? And really, I, I think whenever we're talking about leaving a legacy, there, there, there's kind of two things that I think help us do this. And the first off is this, like think about when you pass and your funeral is happening or your celebration. I know me, I want to party. I'll just be honest. Like if I pass, you know, mourn and stuff like that, but at the same time, I want it to be a celebration about God taking a stuttering white kid and doing stuff through, you know, and doing whatever he wants to do with, with my life. And anything that I do from this point, I mean, it's the grace of God. Because I know me. And I know where I came from. And so I want it to be celebrated. But at the same time, like honestly, sincerely, think about when your friends and your family are telling stories or telling things or speaking about you at your celebration, funeral, whatever you're going to have. What do you want them to say about you? What do you want to be shared? What kind of stories do you want to be shared? What kind of person do you want to be described as? What do you want that time to look like? Do you want it to be a celebration that you're not there? Or a celebration of 
let's, let's talk about what he did to make a big impact for the kingdom of God and within people's lives. But also, too, it's not just thinking about what you, how you want to be described at your funeral, your celebration, whatever, but also, too, when you stand before the Lord, one of the things that Hebrews chapter 9 tells us is that everyone will stand one day before the Lord and give an account. And that's not to scare, because sometimes that has been used. Like, I remember one time I was buying bread at the grocery store. And this well-intentioned person came up to me and was just like, where are you going to go when you die? Bro, I'm just getting bread, man. I'm just trying to decide wheat, white, I don't know. I'm just trying to decide, like, what kind of bread, you know. I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking about that, you know. Like, and it's not used as a scare tactic. It's, it's sincerely used as a, like, it's a reality. It shouldn't scare you. But what I think it should do is it should really help you. It should really influence the way you think about living your life right now. Essentially saying, like, leaving a legacy is really built on the fact that how you live your life or living in light of eternity or living in light of your last day will and should affect the present day you live in. That if there's going to be a main influencer in the life you're living in this temporary life, we should frame it and reverse engineer it from the thought of how do I want to be remembered and what do I want the Lord to say to me on that day? And I believe when you live in light of that, it will inevitably change the way you live in the present. And my thought is if we have a church of people that live in light of those two things, the byproduct of that will be a church full of people that leave behind them a legacy of blessing. That leave behind them a legacy of godliness. That leave behind them a legacy of love and grace. That it will inevitably affect the way. So that, that, that is my heart when we're talking about following Jesus. It is discipleship. Basically saying, you realize that I am following Jesus. When we say doing life together, you're not following Jesus by yourself. You have a community of people to do it. When we say get in the game, we're saying you've realized how God's wired you and the unique gifts and talents he's given you and use those and leverage those to, 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 to see the church happen and to see it and to see your world impacted with the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about leaving a legacy, we're saying we want people to live in light of their last day because it will inevitably influence the way they handle temporary things. And really the word that I feel like narrows this down, following Jesus is discipleship, doing life together is community, getting in the game is serving, and leaving a legacy is this word stewardship. Can you turn to someone and say that word stewardship? Leaving a legacy has everything to do with stewardship. And simply, the stewardship is simply means you are a manager of something that is not yours. That you have been entrusted with something that you did not earn, that you are not good enough to get, but somebody entrusted you with it. And one of the main things that switches when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you realize everything you have. When I say everything, I'm going to narrow down into three specific things. Your time, your talent, and your treasure are not yours, they're his that he has given you for you to steward. Can you, can, can, you, can you say, it's not mine, just don't stutter. Just say, it's not mine. It's not mine. And when I say it's not mine, I'm saying to you, 
whatever is in those three T's, your time, it is not yours. As a follower of Jesus, you realize it has been given to you by grace for you to steward. And the thing is this, whenever you start to follow Jesus, it will inevitably influence what you do with your stuff, what you do with your time. A great example of that is Zacchaeus was a wee old man, and a wee old man was he. If you grew up in Baptist Sunday school, you know where that's leading. For those of you who didn't grow up in that, Christians are weird, all right? But it, the thing, right, the, uh, the historian Luke has this story within the Bible that talks about an encounter Jesus had with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And it's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 9. And it says, and it says this here. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made it way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. Now, for some of y'all, chief tax collector does not mean a whole lot. But if there was a Jewish person reading this and they read chief tax collector, they would have thought he's the devil. Because Jewish people hated Roman tax collectors because they would take advantage of them and they had authority to. So this was a guy in Jewish culture was looked at as being the worst of the worst because he had the authority on behalf of the Roman emperor to go and screw people over. Say, oh, your business is made, oh, give me 50%. And there's nothing legally they could do. So chief tax collectors were like, were, were just notoriously corrupt and within Jewish culture looked at as being the worst of the worst. I digress, okay. And he had some, and, and, and then it says he had become very rich. Of course, he had become rich because he had scammed a lot of people. It says he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Can you imagine the Jewish people sitting there? Like, this Jewish rabbi is going to do what today? He's going to eat dinner with a chief tax collector? Is this guy crazy? And then it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were, the crowd, the crowd was displeased. Can you imagine if Facebook was around at this time? <laughs> Jesus, pictures, tweets, Instagram posts, Snapchats, TikTok, Jesus eating with her. Jesus eating with the, look who Jesus with. Said the people were displeased. He had, this is what they said. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. My God. And then it says they grumbled. So then it says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give away half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Do, first off, do you see Jesus' heart for notorious sinners? He ain't scared of you. If you think you're a notorious sinner, and whatever in your mind you think notorious is, I, wanna, I want to let you know today, he's calling you by name. He's saying, I want to be a guest in your home today. And essentially what Jesus did is when he sat down and actually shared food with him, in that culture, it was, I accept you for where you are. And Jesus today, he wants to make his home in your heart. 
He's calling you out by name today. There is nothing you've ever done that would scare Jesus away from you. He is seeking after you because he loves you. And by this story in Zacchaeus, we can say it don't matter who you are, chief, notorious, whatever, in Jesus' world, he loves you. And he wants to be with you. But then you see the response as Zacchaeus receives Jesus. Do you see what his response is? If, if, and I'm going to say this John Ware way. If I've screwed people over, I'm going to repay them. I'm, I'm, I'm not going. Like when he encountered Jesus, it inevitably changed what he did on the outside. Even when he said salvation's come, Jesus said salvation's come to this home today. Because there's fruit of his repentance. There's fruit of his salvation. It's crazy nowadays how people want to claim the name of Christ, but there's no fruit. Nothing's changed. They're just a person in the United States marinated in the culture of, and the values of our country and slap Jesus on top of it. It's like you get a sticker. I voted for Jesus. Okay, how is that influencing your life? Is there a change in the way you operate? Is there a change in the way you handle your stuff? Is there a change in your value systems of what you put your money, your time, and your talent towards? And that's what I'm saying. If we are going to leave a legacy, stewardship, Jesus will inevitably impact what you do with your stuff and buy stuff, time, talent, treasure. And it switches, it's not yours, it's his, and he's given it to you, and he's entrusted it to you, and he's called you to invest it into what matters to him. A steward is simply someone that manage, manages what has been entrusted to them for the benefit of the one that entrusted it to them. And Jesus, Jesus he even told this parable in Matthew 25, and I'm, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's super long, I'm going to summarize it for you, but, but, but essentially Jesus gave three people where God gave three people a different amount of stuff. And the Bible calls them talents. He said to one person, he gave five talents. One person, he gave three talents. To somebody, he gave one talent. And he told them, go and, and I, I've given this to you. Go and get me a return. So, the, so it says the guy with five, he, he took his five and he invested his five and he got five more. He brought it back to God and was like, yo, I did I did my thing, I took what you gave me and invested it, and I got you more. And, and, and it says the God told him, well done, good and faithful servant. The man with three did the same thing, came back, well done, good and faithful servant. But it said the man that was given one took it and hid it because he was scared. And he came back and he said, hey God, I, I know, you, you, know you, you gave me this, but I just kind of held on to it and did, and did my thing with it, and I just want to give this one back to you. God said, you missed the point. You missed the point. The point was to take what I gave you and invest it into what matters to me so you can gain more back. I think there's a couple things we need to get from, from, from this story. First off, some of y'all are going to have different levels, amounts of stuff in your life. One had five, one had three, one had one. It wasn't about how much you had or what kind of hand in life you were dealt. It was what you did with what you were dealt. Some of y'all are going to have more money than others. Some of y'all are going to have more time. Some of y'all are going to have more talent, treasure, whatever. It's not about how much you, it's, it's, it's about what you do with what you have. I mean, just, just think, like some of y'all, God has blessed you financially. God has, like God has blessed you tremendously. And it's not about saying, well, you're richer, you're better than someone else. Really, what God says is if you got more, you got more responsibility. 
So it's not about who has more and who has more has more of God's favor. I hate that mess. Say, well, this person's got more money. God loves them more. You sure? Scripture says that it's like one, it's hard for rich people to get into heaven because the same things you would attribute to God, you attribute to your money. It brings you safety and security and comfort. Are you going to find that in your money or find that in God? So here's the thing. There's different standards in the kingdom of God. But the point is this. Don't focus on what hand you've been dealt. Focus on playing the hand you've been dealt with right. Invest and steward what you have. And don't worry about, well, I don't have this because that does not cultivate gratitude. When you look at what you don't have, you miss what you do have. Some of you are so busy looking at grass that you think is greener. You're not watering the grass God has given you. Say, I wish I had more money. Are you using well the money you do have? Say, oh, man, that spouse, he looks better. She's probably better. Yeah, well, are you pouring into the spouse you do have? I'm telling you, it's not about how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. And what Jesus is looking for is for people who are steward what they have well into what matters to him. If I would ask you a question, what matters to God? More than anything. I don't, I'm not going to give you the opportunity because i got to rush. Okay? <laughs> what matters to God more than anything, when you look throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end, is people. He died for people. He didn't die for doctrine. He didn't die for dogma. He died for people. And when you are saying, what, how should I invest what God has given me? It is called invested in what matters to God, and that is moving the kingdom of God forward through the mission of Jesus. His final words, Jesus said, make disciples. Go and tell others about me. When Jesus was, was you know, this, this, really re, this really religious guy came to him and said, what's the most important law? Jesus said, I'm going to take 633 laws and sum them up in two. Love God and love people. Let me break that down for you. Know God and make him known. If you're talking about what's important to him, it's people. So we're called to take what we have been and trusted with and say, how do we steward it and invest it into what matters to God? And what matters to God more than anything is people. Francis Chan said this quote in his book. I'm sorry, I'm screaming, I'm yelling, I'm passionate, I'm sweating. You're welcome. Here we go. This is what it says, Francis Chan, make disciples. Our lives should revolve around these two words, whether as individuals or as couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on earth. This takes priority over everything else. So assuming you haven't done so already, you should sit down with your spouse tonight and figure out how to structure your lives around the command to make disciples. This command should dictate everything about your life, where you live, where you work, where you spend your money, how you spend your time, everything. You should not make a single decision without the words make disciples factoring in. We should be constantly asking ourselves the question, how can we free up more time and resources for making disciples? This sounds crazy. This sounds crazy because we have been marinated in a culture that says it's about you, your comfort, your stability, your growth, you moving forward. And that's a United States value, and that's great if you're part of that. But if you're on team Jesus, your value system changes from not how can I get somewhere and say, how can I get Jesus out there? How can I take what I have been entrusted with and invest it into what matters to God, and that is people, people knowing him. This is extreme, and I know it, and I fully understand. You might say, I get it, and I'm not saying this is where you're going to be overnight tonight, but I'm giving you the destination. So prayerfully, you can then say, how do I chart the path and the course to get there as a follower 
of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this here. It says this, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Essentially saying, like, y'all have been given a gift. Y'all have been given different times, talents, treasures. Use whatever gift you have received to serve others, essentially to love and serve people. And then it says this, as faithful stewards, there's that word, steward, like as faithful managers of what has been entrusted. Why? So God's grace can be distributed in its various forms. Essentially saying, if you can cook, cook so people come to know Jesus. If you have the gift of cooking, Use your gift of cooking and hospitality and invite people over and feed them so good that it gives you the opportunity to say, man, these people love me so, so well. If you have the gift of listening to people, use the gift to serve him. If you've been given the gift to fix cars, find some single moms that can't afford to do that and fix some cars for them. The point is here not what gift you have, it's what you do with the gifts you do have. Some of you focus, well, I'm not good at this, and I'm not good at that. Okay, what are you good at? You're good at something. God has given you a passion, a, a desire for somebody or something. You have a spiritual gift. And that's why last week we talked about getting in the game. It's like God has wired you and shaped you a certain way. You have experiences and past you've got to like heal from, heal up from. But at the same time, even as you're healing, God will use it to use you. But the thing is this, use whatever gift you have received. And that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. We're all different. We all have unique talents and, and gifts. And the point isn't to say, well, that's more important. John, you're preaching. That's more important than, than what I would do in kids' ministry. Or that's more, or what I, that, you know, that's more important than, 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 than what I would do doing hospitality. The point is we all have gifts. And when we come together as the body of Christ, Jesus is literally physically seen and felt because Jesus is not here. The way Jesus is going to be seen and felt is through his church being its part that they've been called, called to do and going out and loving and serving the community it is placed in. Y'all, you've been given a part. I mean, you've been, just, you, you've been given a part of the grace of God. Faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms that you take whatever you've been entrusted with and you say, how can I use it to show the grace of God to a world that does not know him? Now, this is challenging, right? Let me, let me just say this. This is challenging in our culture. Because like I said, in the United States, you are being marinated in a thought process that you might know or you might do know and you just, are, you just aren't fighting it yet. So let me give you a couple cultural principles that the United States pushes on us. First off, and here's the thing, I love this country. I really, I'm grateful for this country. So I'm not saying the United States is bad. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm simply saying is, is just that there, there's a war for your soul and the culture has a way that it wants to influence you and shape you and form you, but the way of Jesus has a way as well. And as followers of him, we're called to identify what the culture is trying to do, and then we're called to turn and follow in the way of Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. First off, our culture is conditioning you to live for today. You don't see on no magazines, live for eternity. <laughs> live with the end. In mind. I mean, there's songs, you know, like I think Tim McGraw had one, Live Like You Were Dying. It's a great one. I love that one. 
can live like, I'm not going to sing country, but I'm saying, you know, I love that song. It was, it was really good. You know, there, there's kind of something like that, but it's, it's basically saying, how can you get the most out of life right now? Just squeeze everything you can out of it for you and your joy and your excitement. But unfortunately, when you live with the fact that eternity is not real or eternity is not coming, I guarantee you won't, it, it changes the way you live where you're thinking, well, how can I get? How can I, how can I, how can I? Instead of saying living in light of eternity is, is saying, how can I love and give and serve? And how can I stand before Jesus? And how do I want to be remembered? And it will leave behind you a trail of blessing. But our culture is not saying live for the eternal live. It's saying live for right here and now, YOLO. It's you, do you, boo-boo. Secondly, <laughs> our culture is telling you you need more. There's nothing in our culture telling you be content with what you have. Just be content. Contentment is key. There might be a few pockets on YouTube, but our market can't function on contentment. Because if it's not making you feel lack, it can't sell you things. If it's not making you fear fearful that you don't have enough or their product won't change your life, then you won't spend your money. You won't give your time. So you've got to understand, I understand, like, our world is trying to make you feel like you are always lacking. You don't have enough. God isn't enough. You need more. Your phone is terrible. Your home, two bathrooms, you need three. I get there. We're trying to sell our home. We got one bathroom with five people. It's great. But I get that. But the thing is, is this, you've got to realize this is what it's trying to marinate you in. And if you say, like, oh, my gosh, I just need more, it will affect your stewardship. Because then you'll say, well, if I don't, I, it will affect your stewardship. Thirdly, our culture and Jesus' kingdom have different definitions of what success is. You've got to define what success is with your life. Because whether intentionally or unintentionally, you are moving in the direction of what you deem success as. I want to put up two pictures. Don't judge me. I'm not judging them. But I, I, actually, hold up. I want to first off give, give you what success looks like in the kingdom of God. It's summed up in a series of teachings Jesus did called the Beatitudes, where he was essentially saying, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom that I am bringing, let me tell you what the blessed life looks like. He says this here. He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is there. So do y'all see the definition here? We think the blessed life is fill in the blank, what the culture says, nice house, perfect kids, perfect spouse, perfect job. That's the blessed life. Jesus' definition of blessed is very different. Blessed are those who have room in their heart for God, who have space. Blessed are those who give mercy to those who need it. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for standing for truth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are those who have a pure heart. That is what success in the kingdom of God. With that in mind, let me put up two people. No judgment. No judgment here. I'm using them as an example because I don't know Jeff Bezos. I don't know him. But all I'm going off of is news. So that's probably not the worst idea to do. <laughs> He's actually trying to fix, like he, he, he I, I just saw the, the other day, he investing billions of dollars to beat death. <laughs> okay, Jeff. Let's see if those billions of dollars can do that. But here is representations of two kingdoms. That I want to ask you, who do you think, when they stand before Jesus, Jesus would say, you were successful in my kingdom? Like I said, this is no judgment. This is, this is just helping you to realize there are different definitions of success. And I'm not saying all of you have to go and serve in the slums in Calcutta because that might not be your calling. But you are called to serve in the place, in the family, in the job, in the vocation, in the community where you are. You might not be able to be, to, to be Mother Teresa in Calcutta, but you can be a representative of Jesus at your job. You can say, how can I take the kingdom of God and what is successful and work that in? And I'm telling you, you've got to define what success is because if you don't, you will not steward well. You will take what God has entrusted to you and use it to build your kingdom instead of his kingdom. Instead, God wants you to take whatever is in your kingdom and invest it and steward it so it builds his kingdom. I'm not telling you to be poor. I'm not telling you you can't have a nice house. I'm not telling you you can't have a nice car. I'm not telling you we're all just going to be poor, homeless, and sitting on the side of the road doing stuff. I'm saying what God has given you and entrusted you, invested it and steward it so the kingdom of God grows. You got a, a big house? Praise God. How are you using it for his glory? You got a small house? How are you using it for his glory? You got a big car, small car, big bank account, little bank account? Do y'all hear my heart here? Take, with, take and do something with what you got. Invest it so the kingdom of God can move forward and steward it well. So you've invested in what matters to God, its people. Really quick. What time is it? 11, 12. I'm doing good on time. All right. This idea of success is showed so well in the parable of Jesus called the rich fool. I just want you to simply read that for us really, really quick. It says this. Then he said to them, and he being, him being Jesus, he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he says this, and he told them the parable, the ground of a certain rich man. Like, I just want you to hear this language here, and I think you're going to pick up on what I'm putting, putting down. It says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he did well in life. He got retirement. I mean, he, he, he did good. You know what I mean? It says, um, he thought to himself, man, what, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What am I going to do? I will build bigger ones. That's what I'll do. I'll tear down my small bones, build bigger ones. They will store all my surplus, all my extra. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, the, you, you, you fool. <laughs> the, now, because honestly, our country would say, you smart man. Could it be that the uh, American dream is Jesus' nightmare? And you might say, oh, John, you're just trying to, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not saying anything. I'm just challenging you with loving, kind, hard words because I care about your soul and what Jesus taught. I am the messenger. I am not condemning. I am not anything. I, I heard one, one preacher say, hard words produce soft people, soft people, or soft, soft words produce hard people. Meaning that if I preached to you only stuff that, that essentially made you feel good, would you grow from that? We'd, we'd, like, so do you hear my heart? Thank, thank you. Hopefully some of you do. But he says, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for who? Themselves, but is not rich towards who? Essentially saying for those who took what they were entrusted with and used it to build their kingdom instead of saying, how can I use what God has entrusted me and given me to build his kingdom? That's the heart of leaving a legacy. That when it's all said and done, you're at, you're at your funeral, you're standing before God, there's a trail behind you of blessing and godliness and hope and joy. Three, and now you say, okay, John, okay, we've seen importance. We know the challenge is how do we do it? I want to give you three thoughts. Jarvis, who's single, just let y'all know he is single. So um, we've done this before, and when we've done it, the past two people that have done this, they've gotten married. So I'm just saying, um, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. Jarvis told me he has the desire to be married. He's single. So, okay, okay, bring it back, bring it back. Bring him back. Just start playing the keys, homie, okay? All right? He's 27, loves Jesus, right? 27, yep, okay, okay, okay. Um, but anyway, leave a legacy. So, so how, how can you practically do this? Because I, I don't got time to give you 14 steps in this time. I just want to give you three thoughts. Three, you know, how do you start leaving a legacy? First, first off, you start today. Some of y'all look at your past, and, you're, and, and it just, it's destruction, it's cycles. You, you look at your family. Some of you, you see what family you've come from, and you see those same tendencies and patterns of destruction creeping up within your own life, and, and it almost feels like a tsunami passing over you, and you're like, I don't know how to not do what my dad did or not do what my mom did or not do what them and my grandparents did, and you have this, and I want to let you know you can start today to shift the legacy you leave behind. It takes a decision, not, a, not, not one decision and then perfection. It takes a decision. It takes somebody saying, the cycle's going to stop with me. It's not going to be drunkenness. It's not going to be infidelity. It's not going to be fill in the blank. It is going to be a trail of blessing. And I believe if you connect with, with our church and we are corporately working and running after saying we want to leave behind us legacies, I believe you'll be running with some good people. Don't just start today, though. Start small. 
small things done over a long period of time make a big difference. Let me give you parents one small way. Pray over your kids every day so they can hear you. Don't waste the drop-off line, which have been insane. Don't waste the pickup lines. Pray over them as you're in the pickup lines. Don't waste bedtimes. Don't waste dropping them off at school. Pray for them. You might say, I don't know how to pray. If you pray every day, you'll get some practice. Write the prayers down. It's not about perfection. It's about starting and taking small steps. But some of you are scared to pray because your kids see the way you live. But even when you fail with your kids, apologize to them. There's power in apologizing. Even in your failure, your kids can see he is humble enough to apologize. Where'd the keyboard go? Anyway. I hope you see my heart here. You hear my heart. It doesn't have to be this huge. It's steps, y'all. It's steps. Take a small step. Maybe you haven't saved for retirement. Maybe you have been financially just all over the place. And you don't want to do that no more. I've got a dude named Dave Ramsey. Look on YouTube. Follow the seven baby steps. If you can't do it on your own, we have a church full here that we would love to connect with you. We would love to say, how can we come beside you and help you start building a different financial legacy in your family? Start small. But thirdly, and here is, here is the key. Thirdly, here is the key. Start with God. What you see in Scripture, God is a God of legacy. You, you can also see in Scripture, he is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Essentially saying he's the God of generations and legacies. That his goal is to have a family legacy, is to have family legacies. You can even see Jesus lived for 33 years and his legacy is still happening in this room today. And he lived it because he lived it sacrificially. He didn't live it selfishly. Jesus changed the world. He had 30 years in hiding. Three years he changed the world. It is not too late to leave a legacy. It could take three years. What I'm saying is legacy begins with God because God is the God of legacy. And as you follow the God of legacy, the trail behind you will be a legacy. Will will be a legacy like the kind God leaves. And that's why my heart for our church is that we live an uncommon life by following Jesus. We are not afraid to be discipled. We, we do life together. We're not afraid to be in community. We get in the game. We find out God's wired us and serve. And we live with eternity in mind, leaving behind us a trail of blessing by leaving a legacy. If we have a church committed to that, there is no end to what God will do in this city for years to come, even beyond the lives of us. Can we stand up, church? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2000.
1-800-242-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit LifehouseNN.com.